Hello, this is your host, Tim Alanius. In this episode, I am passing the mic off just for this episode to Stephen Legau. Stephen is on the partnerships team as the regional partner marketing manager at AmericanEagle.com. He is specifically focused on the association and nonprofit markets. Having worked with these organizations for the last five years, he is committed to helping associations and nonprofits focus on their missions and providing their members and constituents the best possible web experiences. Welcome back to the Lessons for Tomorrow podcast, the motivational poster in your ear. I'm your guest host, Stephen Legault, partner director here at AmericanEagle.com. In this episode, we're going to be diving into the evolution of DXPs, every stop from portals to DXP as a service. To help discuss this, I'm joined by two very special guest speakers from our partner, LifeRay. We have Wes Campo, who's a lead sales engineer. Wes is a skilled technologist with a focus on mentoring and inspiring teams. He's held many different roles from a developer all the way up to a director and is currently managing a team of technical sales engineers. We also have Glenn Saylor, director of North American Channel Sales. Glenn joined LifeRay in 2010 to help build mutual profitable relationships with LifeRay's global service partners. He's currently responsible for the North American Channel Strategy and manages a team of channel account managers covering all of North America. He has over 24 years of technical and business experience in the software industry. Gentlemen, it's a pleasure to have you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Stephen. A pleasure. Yeah, it's exciting. We've, we've been in the AmericanEagle.com headquarters with, with the LifeRay folks all day today, and this is sort of capping our day and excited to have this conversation. I know, you know some of the things that we've been poking around today and, and making sure that our relationship as partners moving forward is set in stone. But one of the things that continues to come up is where DXPs and, and digital experience platforms are, are moving. You know, I know one of the, from back in the day, core CMSs to, to WEMs, these web experience management tools, and now we're moving into DXPs and, and what comes after that. So happy to dive in and dissect this conversation with you folks. I know that you both have been in the space for a long time and have seen a lot of different versions of what a CMS or a DXP are. You know, don't want to date anybody, but what's the first thing you were working on? Thinking back and preparing for this podcast, it really gave me a chance to look back on my 20 years in the industry. And before that, I was working in print design, of all things. What struck me back then is I had the utmost respect for print designers. They were meticulous. They could get things absolutely right, but it wasn't dynamic. It wasn't intuitive. It was locked in as soon as you printed it. So I realized that was not for me. <laughs> so through that evolution, when I got my hands on a portal technology like LifeRay, we were working in behavioral healthcare at the time, and we were providing videos for people with problems with depression or sleep issues. And one of the first jobs that I had was working with the way that people worked with that system so that if they were signed up for different programs, they would see different banners on the page. And that was a big wow factor to me that we could tailor those experiences to those users, both securely to make sure they couldn't get access to programs they didn't have access to or didn't pay for, but also that flexibility of the system. And that's when I fell in love with the product. It's good stuff. How about you, Glenn? So I can date myself pretty far back too. If you look at, <laughs> I was talking about this earlier, you know, in college, one of the first programming classes I took was COBOL. Right. So, well, you know, what's even the web and what's HTML? I, I, I've lived through that, I guess. So I don't know if that's something to brag about. <laughs> but, um, you know, honestly, getting out, it was HTML. It was developing a lot in like Notepad. 
right? Yeah. So um, there was not a lot of the editors or CMS tools, you should say, or whatever. My probably first formal introduction to any type of CMS would be like a front page to when finally we were using Cold Fusion. Oh, yeah. One of the last jobs that I had as an e-commerce manager. So, but with that, you know, Cold Fusion was was nice and it allowed for a lot of reuse and, and certain aspects and integrated well with a lot of the other Adobe products too once they purchased it. But you know, it, one thing it struggled with was you know good with content, good with HTML. It took a developer to do it. You know, yeah. end users were not able to do that. And I'd say the other um, struggle with it was you had to build everything else around it. So, you know, to Wes's point, when you look at a portal and what it offers, you know, as far as being able to authenticate users and log in and get things, that functionality was not there. So we built that from scratch. Sure. In fact, we finalized that entire project with building the e-commerce engine from scratch. So it was just an utter nightmare. I mean, I'm glad that system is not available anymore and we've modernized, you know, on new tools or whatever, but that's, that's kind of my past with, with CMS to, to now. And we did replace that with a solution similar to Liferay. Yeah. It's uh, it's funny. I, you know, not a technical background myself, although, you know, when I was in, in middle school, I could HTML the hell out of one of those Zanga pages yeah, uh, or, or MySpace page back Genius in the day, you know, dropping your own backgrounds in and overriding the standard sounds that you can have. It's interesting. I, you know, like CMS happens before Google, right? There, there was always a need for these content management systems. I remember as a kid, I mean, early 90s, you know, the OregonTrail.com. And that was that those were what sites were, right? I mean, it was a flat file HTML and any page, you know, there's no experience. You know, the, the page was the page. Walk me through the first time you guys realized that experience were going to be more individualized rather than, you know, sort of this is what the site is, you know, this is my website. And sort of was there a spark there or, you know, something that, that triggered you to say, oh, oh this is going to be fun. I spent a lot of years developing in Flash and Flex. And although it was very vibrant, very engaging at times, it was really locked in. You really mm -hmm. didn't have a good understanding of the user, what that user expected in their experience. It's more like a TV show. <laughs> You're showing them a, a string of clips in which they have to ingest. And then at the end of those a string of clips, then you have some interaction that they might be working with. So as far as the personalization aspect, it really came to a point in which I was working with businesses, much like the behavioral healthcare project that was mentioned, in which you have various types of users and roles in a system. Mm -hmm. And you have to deliver an experience. And at that point, it was through authentication. Your sure. authentication, you have known users. Those users have attributes of which you can then tailor the experience to. When it became to those key business use cases, that's when it really was required that you provided a experience that met the expectation of those end users. Sure. I'd say my biggest experience with that was, so I worked for a large casket company. <laughs> I, I'm from Batesville, Indiana, so the name kind of gives it away. But working for that company, what we did, and part of that, the sites I was telling you about where we really getting introduced to CMS helped us a lot because we were building out HTML and stuff. We were building websites for our customers, which were funeral homes. Sure. Right. So we did not sell to the public. We sold through funeral homes. They were our distributors. So they needed these websites, which they added online ordering to eventually and everything. So sure. we just kind of saw that progression. But what we first saw was, you know, if you think about it from a funeral perspective, it's got to be highly customizable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they were, yeah. <laughs> and they were constantly coming to us, you know, to make a lot of those changes and everything. And what we quickly realized was we've got to give some of that functionality back to the users and allow them to create that content. Not only create that content, I think the other biggest thing that we saw added to CMSs that really helped was the ability to share it. Right. So right. a common repository 
on a server where even competitors, you know, could share things, uh, reuse certain assets and everything. So that was my first experience with that. Yeah, I mean, the way that you guys have sort of teed this up, this portal experience, this authenticated users where I know as I log in, I'm expecting X, Y, Z and I'm able to see that I possess these attributes. And so does this person over here and sort of what life raised core that your heritage is, is in those portal experiences. And so, you know, moving away from a CMS and just even those flat file HTML sites through Flash and into the CMSs when with these portals, I think that I'm interested to hear your perspective on the molding of, of why that became more and more useful not just from a user experience, but like the individual user experience, but from an organization perspective, why this is an offering they wanted to provide, you know, both to their customers and partners alike. And we can talk about these things that happened, you know, 10, 15 years ago and with still uh, maybe some sentiment over <laughs> how we've changed through this process. Because in the case of an authenticated user, you might have three or four different roles that you're trying to meet, persona-based storytelling in a way, in which you're giving them what they need from a business standpoint. But there's so much more that's expected nowadays. Mm -hmm. Really now, it needs to be individualized, mm -hmm. not just a group, not a role, that users, based on their interaction with search results or their clicks through the system, what pages or blogs they've interacted with or commerce items, that they expect you to remember that. And much like Netflix, in which over time where you're viewing videos and Netflix understands you, it's almost like it's expected that technology is paying attention yeah. and that it shows you things that are of value to you and doesn't waste your time in the ways that we were used to <laughs> historically. Netflix and Amazon ruined everything and made everything all better at the same time. I mean, it's one and the same. So from a business perspective, right, I mean, these you want as, as an organization to be able to deliver those tailored experiences to people. And for a while, at least in, in my view, it seemed like, you know, the extensibility of, of front end personalization got a little unwieldy and more focusing on in a logged in or authenticated experience might make more sense for folks. Have you guys seen anything similar to that, you know, in, in your travels? Yeah, especially now in the day of, you know, we talked about Amazon and, and the Facebooks and, and Google and everything, you know, really creating this new age of expecting that customer experience, right? We're seeing that across all facets of the company, all way, what, you know, we see it a lot from a support perspective, right? So customer self-service is what we're seeing a lot in the industry right now. It's probably one of the biggest requests we get, you know, incoming is how can, from a B2B to a B2C to a B2B2C, you know, how can my end customer self-service themselves and, and roll back that cost, right? right? So there's a there's a huge expense to supporting customers. And I think that's the biggest use case that we're seeing right now is how can I control those expenses? And it's not just how do I control those expenses? It's ultimately how do I make that customer happy, right? right. So it, yeah, we, we talk about Amazon and some of these companies and, and what they did. And I remember the first Amazon page when it was a bookstore only <laughs> um, to what it's come to. You know, they did lead the way. People are expecting that. And, yeah, again, what we're seeing now is, you know, it's all about the customer. So, right. Yeah. Right. I mean, that individualized, you know, that focus, it's, it, you know, for a while it used to be groups. You know, uh, Wes, you were saying that before that, you know, these personas, these this group of people need to see this. Know, and, and we build out a couple versions of that. And the, these group of people need to see that. Now it's down to the individual. You know, I might have the exact same role and the exact same, you know, sort of end focus as somebody else, but I click on something differently and learn separately, right? So I think that one of the things that I'd, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on are how best to sort of tailor recommendations in that sort of, you know, knowing that we're still sort of in this portal f focus right now. 
tailoring recommendations, there seems to be a nice debate on clicks and attention and, and how do we quantify what should be next? Is it like like folks? Uh, if you guys have any opinions on, you know, should it be based on direct user action or should we be doing a little bit more about, you know, this person is like you and therefore they have done this, you should, should you also? I think that's what we'll see in the future. The increase of machine learning and AI helping support those things like that. But I would like to separate the authenticated user or known user from this type of tailoring because it works well for security, making sure they can't sure. Get, get to things, you know, they're not allowed to get to things they shouldn't. That's still going to be important in business. That'll always be important. But as far as tailoring a user's interests, that has to go more along the lines of regardless if they're authenticated or not. And it could be from many different outcomes. We're benefited from a technology right now that if an author is populating content into the system, we can use tools that exist on the market today to auto-tag or auto-analyze, even things like images, to find the content of mm -hmm. an image that represents something that is trackable. Right. And that's only going to get better over the coming years and more powerful, almost to a point where it might be even scary. I would think. I, I mean, I think we're there in, in consumer tech, right? I mean, for all of us every day. I mean, I, I have an Alexa at home and, and she turns on the lights and she turns off the lights and she plays music and I'm using a she and it's a device. You know, we're, we're at that point with consumer tech. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we're eventually inevitably going to be there with business as well. And Glenn, any, any thoughts there? So, and kind of to the point you just about, you know, it's crazy the level of personalization we're getting to and kind of, the, you know, Wes brought up kind of the machine learning and the AI. I think that's great technology. I think there's a place in the world for it, but we can't overdo it. Sure, sure. <laughs> and I think even us, you know, from a technology perspective, we've constantly got to be looking at that, right? I mean, we've got an entire InfoSec team, you know, that's looking after, is it GDPR compliant? Are we allowed mm -hmm. to ask for this? So, and back to personalization too. Yes, I think it, it's it's no longer groups. It's, it is very highly personalized by individual because what I want to share may not be what you want to share, right? right. And a lot of that too is the different generations we have. I'm, I'm the old school, you know, kind of Gen X guy, right? And then we've got millennial plus, mm -hmm. and, and I think we're willing to share data differently. You see it all yeah. over the place too. I think the new generation used to be more open to, to sharing a lot of stuff, but we're even seeing them pull back, you know, with a lot of the data breaches you're seeing and stuff. Right. And, yeah, it has to stay and continue that route of, you know, highly personal per individual. Yeah, I mean, there's always that marriage of, of could versus should when we're thinking about this right. AI and, and personalization. It's funny when you were mentioning that one of my favorite scenes in, in one of my favorite shows, Parks and Rec, is when Ron Swanson's on, online and he realizes that they know who he is because he bought something and, and they know his address. So he throws the whole computer away <laughs> uh, thinking that that'll get him out of it. So, you know, this architecture, right, we move from a CMS to a portal where we're focusing on some of these authenticated experiences. But, you know, even Gartner is driving this from a portal to DXP and, and what DXP is. And I know, you know, we all know what that means. But I think it's interesting in that I hope it doesn't go by the wayside, just become alphabet soup. This is what a DXP could be. But from your perspective, sort of where do you think, at least at present, what should a DXP provide and to whom and from where? Well, DXP tends to be a fancy name for a bundle of technologies that can solve a lot of business problems quickly mm -hmm. uh, and efficiently. And I would think and I strongly believe that that agility of DXPs to solve problems in, in a way that is 
more configuration over customization and opening up uh, Dreamweaver or those old tools in which even Notepad to author those things uh, <laughs> is well behind us now. Although it might be education to some to know where we have come from, I think it's just going to continue to kind of speed up over time and, and improve and help enable business users that can do things with no code. Yeah. Um, I know low code, no code is brought up on occasion, but really a, a business user is not going to want to type syntax at any point. <laughs> they want to click or click and drag and, mm -hmm. and build something that might tailor search results or provide a good experience or put users into segments in which they can take some important action on cross-selling or upselling a product. Yeah, I like it. I mean, it's tool set is, is I think, the right way to think about it. I don't know about you, Glenn. Yeah, and I think it's you do see it defined differently, right? And I think one almost wrong definition of it is it's a bunch of tools in a package, right? Right. Because the big piece for me is it's got to integrate. And it's not only got to integrate to external systems. There's a lot of talk about how you got to integrate to your ERP systems, to your CRM systems, different systems of record like that. But it's really got to integrate together, right? So you got to look at that product, you know, that it's not just CMS. It's not just the document management. It's not commerce. It's not everything that's just kind of piled in and then you mm -hmm. figure it out that all has to integrate together and that's a key part of the functionality of the product so when you go to create the next digital experience in your organization whether it's an intranet extranet customer self-service that those tools are available they work together if it's commerce commerce works well with the cms and the document management system to provide that experience so right. that, that's where i see it i think it's interesting the way that the market has uh expanded from individualized products to an all-in-one and then now back towards purpose-built with proper integration. Right? And I think that the three of us at least are, are in agreement that, that the third version here is the right one, knowing that each tool is built to fulfill a particular action and we're making sure that it works with the next and works with the next and work with the next. Because of that, I know that, that LifeRay specifically is, is sort of modeling this into platform as a service and, and software as a service, sort of migrating away from just this traditional DXP model. You know, is that something that you guys are consciously making the shift or responding to some of what the market is asking, you know, of you specifically or, or of your competitors? It could be a bit of both. I think we need to nod to the overall market trends and say that that is the direction in which teams are, are going, and especially the people that have the say in buying mm -hmm. are leaning toward more of a model in which it acts like a spigot in which they can turn it on and off in a <laughs> SaaS model. But we certainly understand the value of all of the effort put forth in the, the last 10 to 15 years to build out these tool sets. It would be unfortunate if all of that advancement was lost in that transition. So we're hoping that we're able to deliver on both. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with Wes. And, you know, if you look at the tool set again, I know we're focused on the customer. You got to give the customer what they need. But there's also the other end of the spectrum, which is your developers and the IT department, right? So you talk about a DXP. You can't have them developing everything within that specific tool when maybe their skill sets outside of that. We talked about this earlier today from a JavaScript framework perspective, right? So they want to may want to work in React, you know, or something. But then to just be able to, you know, call, you know, the back end mm -hmm. via headless, whatever it is. And I think that's important because that's also going to help with that whole omni-channel focus, right? Yep. So if I want to create, it's, it's not about mobile apps or anything. We talked about, you know, specific companies using DXPs within a manufacturing facility. So maybe there's a screen within, you know, the production line or right. smart device or something, um, whatever the framework is, the UI or whatever, 
you know, as long as it has the open APIs and can and pull in, you know, integrate with Liferay or a, a DXP, that's going to be key. And, and it's, so it's a little bit pleasing the customers, but also pleasing the developers and have them kind of bring their own front end. You know? Right, right. I mean, the marriage of you know an IT user and a, and, a, and an end user, marketing, you know, business user, and then like you said, it's like even folks on the floor or in field service, you know, looking at inventories in the same way. If that experience for for all of those folks is the same. Why not leverage what you have in place? You mentioned sort of, one, you know, one of these buzzwords, headless here. You know, is that where you think we're headed next? I mean, what comes after this? You know, we're, we're focused on personalization down to the individual user. We're, we're focused on uh, extensibility and, and making sure that we have proper tool sets in place. But, you know, inevitably the next question becomes, well, what if I want to use X? You know, uh, you know, is this a headless model? I mean, that I think is, is already sort of at, at a juncture where, it might be just jargon and you know nobody knows what it actually means <laughs> well, well composable is also a term that's that's come up a lot recently but between headless and composable i would like to, to think that the goal is delivering the best value to all touch points and really the way that those tools exist and why they exist is so that you can quickly as a team maybe even with less development than ever deliver outcomes that work well in any way that the users are interacting with your services. I like that. Yeah, I think when you look at headless, for instance, I think a lot of companies, including ourselves, we were probably doing headless before just with open API sets, right? Mm -hmm. So we really started down that path to begin with. You know, our developers internally also saw that, you know, we used to develop our own JavaScript framework that came, you know, with, with our package and you had to use that to, um, sure. you could, you could swap out to react or whatever, but it wasn't as easy. So to make it more headless, I would say, if that's the proper <laughs> term to use, um, we have definitely gone that route. You know, I do think that's, you know, the way we're going to go. It's interesting that Wes brought up composable because I just had a conversation with a customer yesterday on, on my flight out about composable commerce. So it's that's really modularizing commerce and to be able to use portions of the commerce product, like the inventory, the cart, the catalog, mm -hmm. you know, everything in a more composable matter to where the front end may look different here, may look different here for different suppliers and stuff, more on a B2B focus, but composable is really starting to hit, I, I'm starting to hear that buzzword more. And again, I think that bleeds a little bit more from headless to being headless and just, you know, headless plus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're not, uh, not nearly headless, exactly. Nick, actually headless. Um, <laughs> it's interesting too. So we've seen a little bit of that, you know, I, I work with a lot of our like associations and healthcare, you know, in those industries with our projects in, in that space. And they all have a core business system that runs most of what they do, either, you know, sort of their EMR on the healthcare side or for associations, it's, it's their AMS, Association Management System. And they're all going through the same exercises. I think these CMSs where there were 50 products that you needed and were required to run a business. Then these gargantuan companies tried to sell you this all-in-one. And now we're going back to a purpose-built you know, tool set with proper integration. And the commerce experience is one that's interesting there because a database system isn't going to do commerce well, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of these folks are using a CMS that is not a commerce system. So now you're having to tell an organization that may be a little bit budget strapped, you know, here's why commerce makes sense too. And you need another platform for that. So I think that the composable where we're focused on, you know, this module is something that we can tack on and, and poke here is certainly interesting. The other side of that is we're starting to see sort of alongside this headless a little bit of both where we're marrying those business users with a front-end tool that they're comfortable using 
and also providing a back-end you know, developer or IT you know, tech-focused solution where we have a DXP delivering content through WordPress, for example, on the front end you know, via, via that open source. And so um, you know, ha- have you guys seen any of that? I know we talked a little bit about that earlier today, but you know, leveraging things that, you know, technologies that you would think are providing similar services, but for different purposes. Right. Lower maintenance yeah. and avoid any duplication, kind of removal of silos, that that whole discussion. Um, and in, in maintaining your content in a way that authors are comfortable with the system, they can get to the stuff they need, they get the true benefit of the modern solution, the XP solution. But the place in which that content is then surfaced could be anything through those mm-hmm. integrations, like you say, potentially WordPress. So I do think it comes up, Glenn. Yeah, and we're portal and DXP, but, you know, content's key. You always mm-hmm. hear that, right? Um, and we understand that we've had, I'd say, a minimal content management system to a more fun- fully functional now. And the way I like to say that, you know, content is key is we're seeing that across even the additional products that are being pulled in, like commerce. We're seeing that around specific solutions that our customers are asking us for is how we talked about personalization. How can I personalize, you know, the content to fit these user needs in an inventory situation or right. in you know, a, a purchasing situation? So I guess I'd answer that with it went from CMS DXP to this DXP as a service. But, you know, ultimately it goes back to that content and, and <laughs> content's key. So Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen a little bit of a resurgence here with things like WordPress on the open source side ourselves. I mean, you know, WordPress used to be a blogging platform that mom and pop yeah. shop had and, and that was their website. And But we're, we're seeing it more in the enterprise now in the architecture that we're describing, right, where there's these actual, I don't want to say actual because WordPress is a real thing, but the like true productized offering SaaS or, or DXPs that are, you know, sort of the core of the, the architecture. WordPress is the front end because it's so flexible and because of the open source capacity to pull in from the community. But what interests me about LifeRay in particular is, is that that is an open source tool, you know, with, you know, community contributions. And so it's interesting and I'd like to hear your feedback on why you all felt that that was the appropriate, or maybe not you guys, but, but the team, the appropriate route to take knowing that you know, you probably over the years have had to fight a little bit uphill. Well, it's open source. That means it's unsecure. That battle, knowing that it's a full-blown C, you know, DXP in that mode, hopefully that makes some sense. It does. And it is our heritage. And it was opened as an open source project in the year 2000, way back when. <laughs> and uh, those contributions help uh, shape its future. And we still accept community contributions and review those contributions and make sure that they are a good fit for what we do. We'll jump back really quickly if I'm allowed and uh, say that WordPress has very little barrier of entry. Yeah. And it is a real thing. (laughs) One of the most enjoyable jobs I had was was giving back. I taught night classes in web design for 10 years. Wow. It was a lot of fun. It's good karma. (laughs) I would like to think so. Yes. And part of that was that we, I got to teach basic HTML, CSS, but as soon as I got that part out of the way, I taught the students how to install WordPress, mm-hmm. right? How to get it set up and work within a CMS because there's very low barrier of entry. And, you know, there's the open source topic that, that we can continue to cover, but as we move toward SaaS, I, I think I would I would like to think the goal is just that, lowering the barrier of entry for us to provide a bigger set of tools to a larger audience. Yeah. It's really key to me. And I think it's even cooler that that can be 
part of a community-driven project. I like that a lot. Low barrier of entry, you're right. So I'm going to be biased on the community perception (laughs) of this because I came from the community. That's how I got hired into Liferay. So we were using the Liferay software. I was a community member. Me and my team was at least trying to make, you know, significant contributions or bug fixes, you know, and certain things like that. So I saw the benefit of that moving into this role now and working for the company. Yeah. Open source is one of the primary reasons I'd say, you know, our success, you know, we put that project out. I shouldn't say we, Brian (laughs) Chan, our founder, put the project out on open source from the very beginning, right? He created this as a content management system for his church, to be honest with you. He put it out on the open source market and the thing skyrocketed. That's when I open source was starting to take off. The hard part for us as you mentioned before, was selling that to organizations because right. open source was not common, right? But it was easy to kind of come back with that too when they said that we don't use open source and you ask them, you know, are you using Tomcat or Apache? And they're like, well, yeah. And it's like, okay, you're using open source. <laughs> so we had a lot of those conversations and a lot of legal negotiations, you know, it was yeah, really yeah. hard. And I'll give kudos to Red Hat. Red Hat set the way for open source software, subscription software. We followed, you know, similar to that model going forth. And that's been, I, I think, a huge part of our success. Sure. We still take community contributions. We offer on-prem all the way up to pass and SaaS. So we offer multiple different, you know, solutions, open source. You know, we, we definitely bleed probably more into the on-prem, but we're taking some of those ideas as well and moving that into our pass and SaaS product. I mean, our content management system was grown from a contribution made by one of our customers, not even a community. So when I say community, <laughs> it's, it's not just, you know, right. The people world. like myself at the mm-hmm. time that was sitting in a, a basement at the data center, you know, coding, <laughs> it's, it's our customers, it's partners like you guys, you know, that are, that are contributing back to this. And it's been, it's just been awesome to watch it grow. Yeah. It's, I mean, the, the sort of going on your, your low barrier of entry. I mean, some of the, the things you can learn to do with some of this technology now on YouTube, you know, you have 12 year olds that are writing, you know, incredible mobile apps and, you know, crazy web apps moving forward. I think that you know, opening it up and offering a, an opportunity to, you know, see what the world has to offer is certainly interesting, you know, as we think about where these products are being shaped and moved moving forward. So, um, you know, as we think about wrapping up here, one of the things that I'd, I want to leave with is, is sort of, you know, five years from now, what's next? You know, we're moving into this, all the models we've spoken about here, but, you know, if you had to be a betting person and, and say, this is where we're going after this little wave, what would that look like? And, you know, maybe if, if the answer is who the hell knows, then that's the answer. But, you know, wanted to think, you know, what's next? What's coming up? Continual improvements to agility and speed of implementation. And that is in all senses of the word, both in authoring the experience as well as hosting it, making sure it's online and stable and secure. And those ideas of configuration over customization. And really our, our focus, and I think Glenn will back me up on this. Really, it's about enabling those business users to do what they need without having to bring in an IT staff uh, in all cases. We really want the IT staff of companies to focus on maybe more important needs, migrating legacy technologies or focusing on integrations and things. So I think that'll continue to grow and improve as all platforms really uh, modernize over the next five years. Love it. Glenn? I'd have to say in two areas I see the next five years. So I, I think AI and machine learning is really going to progress. Analytics is, is, you know, much like I said, content is key. Analytics is key, which drives that content. Um, I still think a lot of that's in its infancy. You know, uh, we have an analytics tool. Google has an analytics tool. They do a lot of the similar things plus different things. Sure. So I think that will grow. You'll see that more tightly integrated. 
Um, the other thing that I'm seeing quite a bit, and we talked about this earlier as well, is AR VR, right? Yeah. So there, there's that augmented reality. There's the whole metaverse. Uh, what, I, I'll tell you the honest, honest truth. When I heard the metaverse and what was going on and I saw the Facebook commercials and everything, I was like, this, you know, what's this? This, this is not going to last. And now I'm sitting here talking. I think that could eventually be integrated into these digital experience platforms because it's we've gone away from brick and mortar. We're going virtual. and I think we're going to go more virtual. I completely agree on the AR VR. I mean, I was reading an article yesterday that a million dollar home got sold in the metaverse, in the Facebook yeah. metaverse. I mean, what are we doing? Um, it, it's unbelievable. Well, really appreciate both of you, you joining us today, Wes and Glenn. Thank you. Thank you guys for the visit. Uh, thanks for hopping on. Thank you for tuning into the future by listening to the Lessons for Tomorrow podcast. For more information on the topics we discussed today, check out the description of this episode. If you want us to cover a topic or submit any of the feedback, email us at lessonsfortomorrow at americaneagle.com and let us know. Be sure to follow the podcast wherever you listen to them. Stay up to date with us. Like, subscribe, review. This episode is brought to you by the AmericanEagle.com studios. I am your guest host, Stephen Legault, and you'll be back with Tim to catch you in the next lesson. Thanks, everyone.